0: I said, empty your mind. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual
1: relations with that woman. I'm not going to lie. Just imagine what you could do with that kind of money. You know, I don't
0: mind being the bad guy for $30 million a year. I don't mind being the most
1: hated man ever for $30 mil. But is he the most hated man ever? I don't think he is. I think Altuve was the one that was the most hated of that group. Well, he's, he's affiliated. Yeah, but they all got paid. I mean, if, if Bregman becomes a free agent, he's going to get paid. Verlander's is going to get paid. He, they gave him $21 million a year. Uh, I'll, Grin- still, I'll Grinkey, still take the money. Grinky just went back to Kansas City. He's going to, he got paid. They're all getting paid. That hatred was just surface, surface hatred, jealousy.
0: Well, like I, I uh, told you a few weeks ago, I'm a cowboy guy. We hated T.O. And the moment we sign him, he's our best friend. I'm in love with the guy. That's how so it is. That's was, the way it is in sport. That's why I, I told you. Sport fanatics are stupid.
1: Including I myself, hate, I hated Lebron James until he became a Laker. Yeah, and brought hated, us a ring.
0: Yeah, I hate Lebron.
1: Blames he, he as brought well. us a ring. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is canceled teachers talk. Unbelievable history with another fantastic episode. Uh, we're going to go a little bit different today. I think we were inspired by one of our last episodes. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a serial killer we <laughs> we know i know that serial killer serial killers and true crime and all uh, all this stuff that comes from the, those kind of genres are super popular in today's culture mm-hmm. uh, i love that i love serial killers i've i've explored i've, I've done every uh, documentary on netflix i've watched youtube videos i've been fascinated with serial killers since as, as young as i could remember uh, it, it doesn't really matter which one it is. Some of the, even the ones that nobody's ever heard of, I think the stories are just, you know, they're 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 cool. They're fascinating. Let me let me ask you a question. I know we're talking about the BTK killer,
0: but do you think this over glorification, like with Ted Bundy, like over sexualizing him, that kind of thing? You think that's tacky, or do you think it's warranted? Do you think it's necessary?
1: What do you think? Uh, That's I think that's part of the story. I think that's what makes some of these guys fascinating. I mean, it's what makes some of these guys uh, different. Ted Bundy. I don't think he was that good looking of a guy. Charles Manson. I didn't get that either. Charles Manson also isn't that good looking a guy. But when you you hear the stories and how women fell prey to these guys, because, you know, they were supposedly these these beautiful, beautiful people. And then even Mm -hmm. when they go to prison, I mean, Richard Ramirez was a scary looking dude. Uh, he's the night stalker and he, he was getting love letters and know. Uh, marriage proposals and it's just crazy. I know I a know, girl who thinks that he was gorgeous. I don't think, it, <laughs> I, I don't miss it. I don't think it's that they are good looking. I think that there are people that are just attracted to like that sort of evil. Right. Right. Cause right. these guys are, these guys are evil. And Mm -hmm. for those of you you who are listening to this episode, we are doing the BTK Killer.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We are going to, we we sat down and we tossed around a couple of ideas. Uh, I know I brought up Ted Bundy in one of our episodes, but we're going to do the BTK Killer only because Garcia thinks that he is the most fascinating of all serial killers, or at least he's up there. Without a doubt. And I... yeah, i do agree i agree and i i didn't uh you know, when he said oh you want to do the btk killer i was like hell yeah let's do the btk killer <laughs> uh now for those of you guys at home have no idea who the btk killer was or, is. or what it means btk stands for bind torture kill uh he is uh, his name is dennis raider mm-hmm. and he killed 10 people uh but it's what's it's the way he did it and his mentality of how he did it which that separates him from people like Ted Bundy uh for one he wasn't a good-looking guy he <laughs> didn't have that uh that same charisma he came off as a very normal dude and he was a very community oriented he had kids he had a wife he was in he had a whole church life uh he basically melted into society because of how normal he was.
0: Well, that that's kind of where I want to go. Because his first killing was registered in 1974. And then he does it for a few years and then just falls off the face of the earth for 24, 25 years. And many, many, you know, in between that 25 year gap, they thought he was already caught for a different crime that he was in prison. They, some people even thought he was already dead. So for him to be this prolific killer in the seventies and then totally vanish and then just come back to me, that is, uh, what, you know, separates him as a serial killer from the ones that are popular in, uh, like Ted Bundy and so, and Charles Manson and stuff like
1: that. Well, and, and you're right. He, he did take a a hiatus. Uh, and I think, we've had conversations where you have said and i've asked you uh, if you think if you can get away with a murder in today's world and you you straight <laughs> up say no there's no way to do it no, like there's with the impossible. forensic science and and <clears throat> cameras and and media there's just no way to get away with it and i well, think look, that's well go ahead
0: i'm sorry not to cut you off well look his first murder well the one that he was famous for the Otero family you know he hangs the daughter he hangs one of the sons he kills the mother and the father and he left DNA all over the place but at the time in 74 there was no science for that so obviously today you know I mean he stayed squeaky clean for 25 years or else they could have found him when uh, DNA forensics became a thing in the in the 90s if he would have had some kind of record but because he was squeaky clean for 25 years, pretty much his whole life, he was able to get away with it. And that's why I don't think today with cameras, with the science that you're talking about, it is even possible to become this prolific
1: killer, even and, uh, though there probably are, of course. I think <clears throat> if if he had never come back, he never would have been caught. Exactly. I think it because he came back and there's a lot of stuff uh, there's there's books and there's all kinds of things written about him uh that he was he was a psychopath he Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily get off on the killing he got off on this idea of he was above people he had put himself on this pedestal he thought that he was better than the rest of humanity and uh he even at one point said that they that we should thank him we as in like the rest of the world because he could have killed way more people Like he thought he was that amazing. Like he had this, this egocentrism that, you know, I give you a hard time for how, you know, egotistic you are, but he was just next level. And he got off on this idea that, you know, he was playing a game. He was very narcissistic. And, and I think one of the things that interested me the most was, uh, I mean, he, he named himself, he wrote, he wrote poetry. He made it a giant, kind of like the Riddler, Mm -hmm. the Riddler. And I'm not talking about new Riddler. I'm talking about like old school, you know, I'm going to make this a game just to push the limits to see how, how smart you are. And he was playing a game with law enforcement. And I think he would have got away (laughs) with it if he hadn't come back. We're going to
0: talk about this later, but I'm a huge murder documentary guy. I, I love them all. I'm gonna, today, I will express what got me into it, uh, but later on in our, in our, in our segment. I, but I want to go to what brought him back. And to me, my opinion, I think in 1979, he, he was already married a few years before. I think he was bored, started doing the killing. He thought he was the smartest man in the room, like you said, with the whole ego thing. And I think, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to raise a family. And you're right. He was a church guy. He, uh, I think he was like the leader of the Boy Scouts, if I'm not mistaken. He was. Yeah. Sc- and, he was a Boy Scout leader. And uh, I think when he raised his family, he had a normal job, he had a normal career going. And once the kids were out, it's like, what do I do now? Where's Where's that rush, that adrenaline rush? And I just think he fell back into an old demon that was obviously that like, you, you know, you always hear, uh, read about stories where when killers are caught, that it just haunts them. Like, I could never sleep for the days that I was trying to get away because I just felt so guilty. But I think for him, what haunted him was not the killings, but more or less the thirst to go back. Like, I honestly think in a weird way, he was holding himself from in that 25 year time frame from committing another murder. And when everybody, I guess, moved out of the house, the kids got older, graduated high school, went to college, whatever. I think he was like, all right, well, let's see what I can do. Let's go back out there. That's well, he a used
1: to, theory of he, mine, by the way. He used to take mm-hmm. trophies from his original killings. Mm-hmm. And in that during that hiatus between uh, 91 and 0405, mm-hmm. he used to cut out magazines and make, up, like, make dolls out of mm-hmm. the trophies and it allowed him to relive so he never stopped he just found a way an outlet that let him you know get off on the on this on reliving the old memories and i think you're right i think at some point because he had never really rehabilitated himself he mm-hmm. always wanted to continue doing it he always wanted to, to go back and do it again and and at some point him reliving the memories was just not getting it done anymore
0: so what do you think pulled him in for me i think it was you know the family life was over, and he—he he I think he had like a fear, and he just went back to what gave him that—that that adrenaline rush. What do you think pulled him in, if anything?
1: I was uh, listening to somebody talk about the BTK killer, and he actually was still doing his hunting. That's how mm-hmm. you know he was still going through the motions. And there was something with a construction crew and he was hunting, uh, some victim that he probably never was going to actually kill, but he was, he was going through his motions and they stopped him and it was an ego thing. And because he failed in his mind, that's what pushed him kind of like, I, you know, I got to see if I still have it. I got to see if I could still, you know, I could still do it if I wanted to, because he was old. He's an old man now. So I think it's this idea that it's all good until somebody kind of knocks him down off of his his pedestal. Well, one aspect about him
0: that was interesting, uh, you go back to him picking up trophies. You know, he acted out sexual fetishes. He was into voyeurism and cross-dressing. And he would often spy on the neighbors while they dressed. And for a lot of serial killers, you know, and I'm not going to say all of them, but for a lot of them, they had similar traits in that realm of cross dressing or erotic, you know, like something's vacant in their life. And he was a married man. So, do you think that had something to do with his pull towards finding,
1: uh, torturing, and kill?
0: Like that's uh, his name, like going to his name?
1: He was always a little twisted in his head, all the way, going all the way back to when he was a kid. Uh, he used to kill it. I mean, this is when they have that, that cliche, uh, you know, if a kid kills, kills animals, you know, he's right, gonna right, a serial right. killer. he is like the, the picture perfect serial killer in that aspect. He was mm-hmm. killing, he used to hang cats and do a lot of weird things as a kid. And he'd mm-hmm. even go back and say, if anybody had watched him closer as a kid, they would have seen all the signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, yeah, I think you hit it right on the, the head that, and mentally between his sexual urges and all the, the weird shit he was into mm-hmm. and then his pushing of the boundaries when it comes to, I just think he didn't have boundaries.
0: Well, that's, that's interesting because I'm thinking about it right now. He was a big church guy and if his, he had those kind of fetishes in his killing when, and that 25 year, uh era where he did nothing I mean I'm pretty sure he was getting his kicks from somewhere in the sexual ways I don't know I just kind of think that he was trying to fill that void and I think him being a church guy was like escape from his real reality which was his earlier life in the 70s before he took that 25 year gap time off I don't know it's interesting do you think
1: that him playing uh, this suburban yeah. uh, house father or father figure, doing uh, uh, boy scouts and the church stuff. Do you think that made him feel even greater? No. What I, What I'm trying to
0: say is no. no, no uh, well,
1: d- different, no, different question. Different question. Okay. I right, mean, right. do you think that this idea that he was a completely different person behind the curtains actually like made him feel like he was getting something uh, by on the rest of society. Kind of like, ha ha ha, you know, jokes on you. Yeah. I like where you're going Um, in a weird way. Yes. But also
0: I think him uh, becoming a church guy, a boy scout leader, you know, having the family in a suburban town, I honestly think he was getting off on that restraint him dressing up as a as a as a boy scout guy or going to church every sunday or volunteering whatever he did i think that was actually part of the kick like man i used to be a killer and here i am dressed up as like i'm going to church
1: and you're bringing you're bringing me your kids so i can watch Yeah, you're bringing me your
0: kids like look think about that it's just the ultimate fuck you i don't know i don't know that's why he fascinates me as a killer all the, all the way to the point to where he gets caught. Like such an easy mistake, how the way he got caught. Tell the, tell the audience about that. Tell our, our people. Well, he comes back and all of a sudden the people thought that he was dead or already in jail. And he goes on this 25 year thing. He sends out a letter saying that he is going to murder again. All of a sudden after a year, a near-year investigation, he will end up going down by technology. He asked the police, can I send you guys a floppy disk? They're like, and, you know, he even asked, if I'm not mistaken, is there any way to trace it? And the cops are like, of course not. So he sends Idiot. in a floppy disk. And sure enough, you're the, you're, the, you're the tech guy. They found the tracing pretty much where he is located, all that stuff. I think it it led him back to his his daughter, right? Yeah. I will give him credit, though. I mean, he tried to go modern with technology, and it took him down. But I give him a little bit of credit on that. But, I mean, it was such an easy mistake, considering how prolific he was as a killer,
1: that something so simple would take him down. Yeah, he he wanted to be known. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be known. So Mm -hmm. let me read you. uh, This is from his original letter to the cops Mm -hmm. he said p.s since sex criminals do not change their mo or by nature cannot do so i will not change mine the code word for me will be bind them torture them kill them Mm -hmm. btk Mm -hmm. you see he's at he's you see he's at it again they will Mm be on the next victim and then uh, he killed seven more people and then wrote another letter back to the cop saying, how many do I have to kill before I get my name in the paper or right. get some national recognition? He right. wanted to be known. And I think it's
0: that is what got him caught. Well, not only that, but he finally when they brought him in, I mean, he just admitted everything. Yeah. Like right on the spot. And, and many movies would be inspired. I mean, he's always brought up in the lore of greatest serial killers. the Clove The Clove Hitch Killer, very popular movie. The Mindhunter, probably one of the top shows on Netflix currently, but he is a reoccurring character on that show. I don't know. When it comes to the BTK killer, there's, there's levels of surprises, not only of, 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 on his way of killing, but just the psychology of it. What was he going through mentally every single day for 25 years? Nobody really knows. Like, I mean, was, his... he, was he remorseful? Was he, like you said, egotistical? Did he even, like, just forget about it for 20? Like, just put it in his subconscious
1: somewhere? I don't know. I feel like, to me, he sounds like one of those kids that when you tell them they can't do something, what are they going to go do? Mm-hmm. They're going to go do the exact thing you told them not to do. Yeah. And I think he looked around society and saw these little things here and there. That you're not supposed to do you're not supposed to kill animals so what did do as a kid he hung he hung cats what do you you know you're not supposed to look in people's windows and what did he do he was a voyeur uh you're not supposed to break into people's houses and uh that's what he did now the thing that that puts him on his you know he if you were to make a mount rushmore of serial killers which we're not doing yeah but if you were i think the thing that scares the shit out of me the most when it comes to btk mm-hmm. is that once he hit his stride mm-hmm. and he was after the first couple of killings he used to wait in people's closets oh right yeah. for hours on mm-hmm. end like if you're thinking of horror movie status like he would sit there in their closet and wait for the perfect moment and that just that scares the shit out of me i'm you know, you find out the killer's in your house. Like, there's no more perverse way of fucking with somebody's mind mm-hmm. than to invade their personal space without and their permission.
0: That's the interesting thing, right? It he did it in a town in Kansas, and you know, Kansas is not really known for that kind of violence or crime. And it just goes to show you that even in the most innocent of town, innocent of towns, you could find. The worst of the worst, and I think he was a big part of that fear to people's conscience
1: during that era, and even to today. Yeah, I I do love the story of the BTK killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he's different, and I like that he's different. Uh, he didn't eat people. He didn't make you know lampshade body parts like other more extravagant killers uh he didn't inspire his own movies or anything anything like that but i i think it's this idea that he he hid in plain sight and i think that that's what separates him from the rest i agree Uh, now in my research i found out that there was an actual btk documentary i didn't watch it and i haven't seen it it got me thinking about the greatest uh, what what serial killer documentaries i've seen and what makes a good serial killer documentary okay. and then i realized damn that would make a hell of a mount rushmore and that's I love what we're it. gonna do today
0: i'm excited this and- is probably one of the mount rushmores i've been most looking forward to
1: you love documentaries. I love documentaries. We work with another teacher who always comes up to us and is like, Oh, have you seen, have oh, you seen yeah. this documentary? And like, I don't know. It's, for, it's something that teachers like is, is documentaries and serial right. killer documentaries. They run Netflix, they run Hulu. They, they're like the most watched. And uh, I, that's, that's what I want to do today. We're going to do serial killer documentaries mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you stun the world because i'm sure you're going to come out with some weird random documentaries you've seen every one of them you've seen twice three times as many as me so i would be very disappointed if you don't dominate me in this mount rushmore
0: well i thought about it and you're right i've seen a shitload of (laughs) uh murder docs in my life okay so i'm just gonna start lowest fruit on the mount rushmore is thomas jefferson we'll go back to same old same old and i i I have a feeling that we are going to cross paths this time
1: yes i do
0: not think we're going to cross paths well i've been wrong every single time (laughs) except for once, and that was on our first episode (laughs) okay thomas jefferson is mommy dead and dearest came on hbo 2017 and they would even make a movie about it later on that comes out on, on Hulu. Uh, directed by Erin Lee Carr. When I watched this, it was the first time I ever heard of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Have you ever heard of that before?
1: Uh, no, but I've heard of Munchausen syndrome.
0: Yeah, by proxy, which means it's like a mental disorder that causes a parent to over-exaggerate illness for, for the person that they're taking care of, pretty much just based on attention. You know, she was trying to find some kind of emotional gratification and her daughter, uh, Gypsy Rose, she would put her through everything. They would go to the doctors. You know, she would say that she has all these all these issues like asthma, epilepsy, paralyzation. They even told her that she was that she has some level of retardation, leukemia. And guess what? She had like none of that stuff. Now, all the medication that she was getting was breaking her down like it would for anybody else, especially she wasn't really that sick. But what made the documentary great is how they captured the emotion from the daughter, Gypsy Rose, who would, when she's older, get into like an online relationship and convince the guy that she's talking to to kill her mother, Dee Dee. She convinces him. He goes into the house. She hides in the restroom, covering her ears because she doesn't want to hear the noise. He stabs her numerous times. You know, they find her face down in a pool of blood. Because of that, he does a life sentence. And for her, considering what she went through, would end up doing, I think, 10 or 12 years in prison. I think she's about to get out in a few years.
1: Now, what makes that documentary worthy of Mount Rushmore?
0: Because the, the trial was in 2015, and this thing was released in 2017. And so, for them to compile all that information and put in the story, you know, you feel for what the daughter was going through. And I remember when this, when this documentary came out, a lot of people were like, I did not even know what that syndrome is. And it just brought a big old focal lens to what the mother was doing. To the daughter, how would that even happen? And the film captured that very well.
1: Now, I I saw that pop up on a couple of the lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never seen it. Uh, mental illness and and things like that, and that's hard enough as it is. When you throw in murder mm-hmm. on top of it, it's not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not saying I stayed away from it because of that, mm-hmm. but it just didn't seem like one of those things that. Uh, jumps out of me. So I have uh, not seen it. So if you watch
0: it, I could tell you this. If you watch it for sure, a hundred percent, you're probably going to feel bad, not only for the girl, but then later on, because the mom couldn't really help herself putting her daughter through through the ringer, I guess you could say.
1: Okay. So my TJ mm-hmm. is beware the slender man. Oh, it was an okay. HBO documentary. <laughs> And I, I'm i gonna follow up yours with the same idea. Uh, it was based on the stab that two Wisconsin girls, you know, because all of the worst things come from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Two Wisconsin girls lured one of their friends into a little foresty area and stabbed her 19 times. Uh, because and because they were uh told to do it by Something known as Slenderman. Now, right. Slenderman doesn't exist. Slenderman is a is it originates as a creepypasta story. Uh, it's this weird, elongated person wears a black suit, has no face. He, he's creepy looking. They've made video games, horror games about him. And uh, I remember seeing the trailer for this this documentary and found out that it was an HBO documentary. And usually mm-hmm. HBO documentaries are are well made.
0: Oh, they're and, the best.
1: And I know people from Wisconsin who actually knew that location. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it felt a little personal and it was about something that actually was a little bit different. And I wanted to know the story. I wanted to see it from a perspective, you know, that only HBO can give you because like I said, HBO documentaries are next level, especially Mm -hmm. this is pre uh, net the pre Netflix boom when it comes to documentaries. Now, I picked it for my TJ because just like yours, the stabbing took place in 2014. Mm -hmm. The documentary came out in 2000 and the beginning of 2017 was, was completed by the end of 2016. And it they shot it over the course of like 18 months. So a year and a half to fit an 18 month documentary shoot. It takes a, a film crew producers and things like that. It's just so hard to get it in and out, in the middle of a trial and all that good mm-hmm. stuff.
0: And uh, to capture emotion and picture our first TJs, Mommy Dead Dearest and yours, Slenderman, for them to be able to capture all that in, a sl- in that amount of time, they both had that feel like they had been working on these documentaries for 10, 15, 20 years. And they were able to squeeze that out within a couple of months, if not a year or so.
1: I like your that- pick. I love Both, it. Go ahead. Just to finish it up, because you, I, I don't want to leave uh, any cliffhangers. Both the girls uh, got off, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were found not guilty because of mental d- disease. They, they were uh, considered uh, insane. They had a mental defect because they actually thought that Slender Man was a real thing. Right, right, right. And they are currently in mental institutions.
0: Well, I love it. That's a good pick. I'm very happy you went that route. Very cool. Okay, so for me, my uh, Teddy Roosevelt, my number three is The Thin Blue Line, directed by Errol Morris, who was later on an Oscar winner uh, in 1988. It's pretty much based on Randall Adams, who was wrongfully accused for killing a cop. And the documentary, believe it or not, would be partially used to exonerate him after being, being originally sentenced to lethal injection. Why I, I chose this documentary is because it came out in 88. It kind of modernized documentaries to what we see today. Mommy Dead Dearest are the ones that we're probably going to talk about right now. The renaissance of murder documentaries that Netflix and HBO and, and Hulu and other, sh- and other networks have taken over. It starts with the thin blue line because Errol Morris did a phenomenal job of not only the interviewing, but the imagery, the capturing. It was just ahead of its time. Not to mention, I kind of have like a memory to it. It was at my old school, it was my second year, the weekend before school started, and we had to clean up our rooms or to set up our rooms. And I remember while I was cleaning up the room and organizing it, I had the thin blue line playing in the background and it was so captivating that I stopped what I was doing just to watch it by the time the documentary was over I had to have been done with my whole uh they you know when you're a teacher they give you a list on what to put up on your walls and stuff like that I didn't do it because I was I was there just watching the documentary and ended up getting in trouble it was a write-up situation and then there were like bad words in the documentary so I got into all this trouble but to me The Thin Blue Line, it just has a great core memory to me. And not to mention, it just separated itself to the way documentaries
1: were done before. It's a good one. Uh, I think there's plenty of people that would consider that maybe the greatest uh, true crime or murder documentary. I know that I I definitely saw it pop up a bunch of times, almost Mm -hmm. unanimously on Mm -hmm. all the research I did. It happened
0: here in Dallas, too where the where the murder took place so there's a lot of connection but i just think the documentary just really what earl did was just separate himself as a director with this film good so that i like my, it i uh, love it
1: roosevelt right there now i picked this one and it's one that we talked about and you actually told me to go watch it right and it was one of those those documentaries that once I started, I needed to finish it. And it was one of those got to stay up till four o'clock in the morning. Uh-oh. Don't fuck with cats. Oh, <laughs> now, I love it. I, love I don't it. know if it necessarily counts because we're talking about murder documentaries. And if you unless you're a, you know, a cat lover, because this person doesn't actually murder a human being mm-hmm. now. It's a documentary about a guy who releases a video on the internet where he vacuum seals two kittens right, and right. kills them. And oh, he murdered them. He did. He murdered them. But mm-hmm. you know, does that, does he count as a serial killer? I don't know if you love right. cats, maybe. Right. But they, it was, it was one of those things. I was like, I was one of those people watching now I love animals, so it's I wasn't as hardcore as some of these people, but people like got together on the internet and they detailed every single thing in the video to try to find this guy. Like they're breaking it down to the the finite details, like the blankets. Right. And I guess he had uh one of those he had a special blanket that was only made and sold in a specific place and they tra- right. traced and tracked and it was i was enthralled like i was watching i was like are they going to get him like to the extent the extent that these people went to try to find this guy was incredible phenomenal and <laughs> i don't know it's not it's scary uh it's not he wasn't necessarily on any kind of level of any of the people that w- we could talk about but it was the fact that The internet has such incredible power.
0: Yeah. That documentary, and you can even go to the BTK, the way he goes down are similar because it's based on technology. Yes. Right? But with that documentary, you know, it it, it further solidifies my statement that you can never get away with it today because even the internet with the communities they have, anybody could be a detective. I mean, I love that pick because... It just shows you he was so meticulous in his murder of, yes, you're right, of cats, that the only way he could be found was by a simple mistake. Now, right, do you he, want to
1: give that away? He did. He did kill an actual person. So was he a serial Right. Killer? Oh, no. that's right. Yeah, you're he did, right. He, yeah. He did kill somebody. So forgot about that. He, he released another video where he, he killed, I think it was uh, an Asian person.
0: Yeah, and the the hallway of the uh an, of an apartment of building, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great documentary, and uh, I had to include it because you know it's one of the ones that I remember us talking about a lot in mm-hmm. our breaks between classes. No, I love that
0: documentary. Good call. Fantastic. <laughs>
1: okay. What's okay. The next
0: one. So Abraham Lincoln, I am going with the witness from pbs made by james d solomon you're going and old is, school i'm going old school it was about the 1964 murder of kitty uh kitty Genevieve, in new york what made it interesting is she gets stabbed by a man when she gets out of work like at 3 30 ish in the morning she starts shouting out for help she starts shouting save me save me and in new york it's in one of those uh Those courtyards were surrounded by buildings. So everything echoes and everything is magnified and and everybody can hear her screaming, but yet nobody says anything. Nobody calls the cops because everybody's like, just mind their own business. This documentary, what it did a great job of was capturing that. And they would use animation for the reenactments. And her brother would do this phenomenal job of trying to find out why didn't they call the cops? Because what ended up happening was the killer stabs her and she tries to struggle to get back into the apartment. So she was still kind of alive. So maybe if somebody would have called the cops, maybe her life could have been saved. But then the killer comes back 30 minutes later and finishes the job. And still nobody called the cop as she was yelling for help. And her brother just does this. And this documentary just does a good job, and it's because of that, of her killing, that there's all these bystander laws now. It's just a, it's just a great documentary. I recommend anybody to check it out. I loved it.
1: I don't know. Have you ever heard of it before? I have, I have. Yeah. And I, I've as you're going through that, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to interrupt you. I have a, a million questions I could ask you. Mm-hmm. Ask for. you the most important one. Mm-hmm. If you We're walking out to your car right now. Yeah. And you saw somebody getting murdered. Mm -hmm. What would you do? Well, with technology today,
0: I would definitely call for help 100%. But going back to the documentary, this answers your question too. Uh, Her brother, Bill Genovese, he kind of explains that most of the people that lived in those areas were from the Holocaust era. And they were kind of used to not saying anything. Because saying something got them in trouble when they were, when they were growing, going to the Holocaust or during that era. But with today's technology, for me at least, I would definitely make a phone call and probably try to deter the situation without putting my life, Your life in danger. Of course not. Of course.
1: You know, I mean. I remember, I remember when we, the first year I was working at our school. And we had a, a gun threat, oh, and yeah, we were supposed that. to lock the doors. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, I didn't have a lock on my door, so I called right. the office. I was like, "What do you expect me to do? I can't lock my door." Yeah. And she goes, "You are the lock." <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> they made me sit against the door for like two hours, uh-huh. and that's when I I I had to answer these questions in my mind. What would you mm-hmm. What would you do if you're put in a situation where you were protecting somebody else's life. And I guess for those witnesses, their life is more important than the life of somebody else. That's tough. You never know until you're in that situation. When it comes to this documentary,
0: one last thing that I'll say is the brother Bill. He does, he connects. And you and I talk about this uh, sensationalism in the New York times. Now, when do you and I talk about sensationalism when it comes to newspapers?
1: The Spanish-American War.
0: Right. And it's called? Yellow Journalism. Yellow Yellow Journalism. And he kind of alludes to that, how the New York Times was using the 38 people that said nothing as major headlines, as this murder was like a big deal um, during the 60s. And they would over exaggerate. Oh, nobody said a single thing. He would later on learn from other journalists that a lot of journalists were interviewing these people, these 38 people and saying, yeah, we were shouting and stuff like that. We're trying to, uh, you know, we saw what happened, but the journalists would write that will not sell newspapers. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. So they would not they did not even print the interview. You know, sensationalizing headlines, going back to our history classes. You know, I connect very well to the Witness documentary
1: because it did change the world. I like that one. I like it. Uh, I like that you're going old school. Mm-hmm. Some of these are older than me. Right. I went with Cropsey as my third one. Really? Cropsey is, yeah. <laughs> All right. Was, go ahead. It, it's right up. It's, it's right up my alley. It's spooky and creepy and it meanders and goes, it goes left and it goes right and it goes up, it goes down. And the story that it tells is not the story that you expected when you turned it on. Uh, I actually was referred by a friend. So I kind of had an idea of what was going to happen before it happened. But I, I wish I had started this now you scrolling through Netflix and you see something that looks interesting and you just watch it. I wish I had gone down that path. But it's about uh, uh, a group of uh, a couple of filmmakers that are doing, it seems like, a documentary on an urban legend that scared them when they were kids. Uh, right. An urban legend called Cropsey. Right. Uh, you know, this boogeyman type figure that used to, <clears throat> to steal and, and kidnap kids. Mm-hmm. The documentary spins out of control because they start to uncover an actual person that used to kidnap and take kids, and they kind of it intermingles. They don't actually ever say that this that Cropsey, this urban legend, is an actual person, but it's almost like they accidentally uncover clues that they use to solve a real uh a real crime and uh-huh. the guy's name was andre rand and he did use to kidnap and and uh they a- assume that he's a serial killer there's no evidence that he was a serial killer but uh, they they allude to the fact that there are probably m- multiple if not many people that this guy killed and i just like it because it like i said i like the 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 spookiness that i went with uh, Slenderman mm-hmm. and Creepsy is very similar. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know a supernatural being that that ends up being an, an actual crime, an actual murderer. right? Yeah,
0: that that's a, that's a good pick. I remember when that came out, it became, it, it it brought up a lot of memories cuz you kind of, his his myth or his legend was very similar to other ones from the past. And I think what Cropsey did was kind of give it a name. And that documentary did do a great job of not only doing that, but also showing you the real crime
1: that ended up happening. And it does link us back to Geraldo. You know, we had talked about him last. Oh, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because he published the expose on the, the, the guy worked at a sanitarium and he was the, this Andre Rand, he was a janitor Mm -hmm. and kids started disappearing from a sanitarium for people who are, you know, mentally disabled and Geraldo published an expose back in the seventies. So, you know, there was a real person behind these disappearances and it, he became, it, they kind of link it to this whole boogeyman Cropsy thing.
0: Well, that's a very good pick. I love that. That's a good call. Now I'm, I'm very interested in your George Washington.
1: You shouldn't be. It's going to be okay. cliche.
0: Well, I'm going to go with the documentary that changed my life, that made me a Murder Doc fan from day one. And it wasn't as far as you think. Okay? It, it came out in 2015, HBO again, and it was called The Jinx. And I and talked, you've talked you about guys, I knew I it. I was about gonna... it a million times. <laughs> and I was like, man, this, this guy better not hijack
1: my number one pick nope i remember i went over to your apartment the first time Oh, <laughs> the first time i'd ever been there and you were like oh you gotta watch this documentary and you tried yeah. to put it on
0: yeah yeah by the way well just to give a you know directed by andrew jarecki very famous uh documentarian it's about this guy named robert durst now what made this documentary is that it punches you right in the face the very first scene is a guy in a share in a sheriff car or suburban or something like that. And he's driving to the scene of the crime. And he's talking about, well, we're going to drive here to the scene of the crime paraphrasing, by the way. And he gets out and he says what they found. And he goes to like the ledge of the Galveston, this happening in Galveston, Texas, and in the shoreline. And he says, we just found a couple of hefty bags full of body parts. And they will show the images of it. And it's like right there, I was captured. They said what the the documentary did was capture this guy named Robert Durst, who not only committed those crimes, he would be charged. I mean, later on, he'll be charged for three murders. And he got off on all three different accounts. And people were like, how does this guy get away with murder every single time? First, his wife would disappear in New York. I mean, it was obvious that he was a murderer and they didn't have enough to, to, uh, to arrest him. Then he would murder his best friend, Susan Brown, in L.A. in 2000, almost 20 years later. And then the next year, the one in Galveston, the one I was just telling you about. And what this documentary did was capture not only how this guy could get away with it, but the fear that he had when it came to his crimes Um, i love this documentary they made a movie about it a few years ago and robert durst little fun fact that the documentary also talks about is that he came from wealth his family is he comes from this legacy where his family is partially responsible for the new york skyline he was this man with a lot of money and he just had this secret life he ran away from his family and did his own thing i think he had like Oh, well, a couple of million dollars in the bank. And he was just, I guess, committing crimes all over the place. And he would just get away with it every single time. And his way of manipulation was, you know what? I know how to protect myself. I'm going to use my wealth to protect me. He used that money to get the best lawyers to help him not get convicted. And then the cherry on top, my man, the cherry on top is the very ending of that documentary the last scene of that documentary they're talking about the director pulls him into this nice little office in new york and they even reveal that he is caught i go look we got proof that you killed these people and they show him the proof in this meeting the directors and he's like well you know it's not me i need to get my lawyers kind of like pleading the fifth sort of and at the very end of the documentary when the meeting was over he goes to the restroom and the camera's off, but he accidentally leaves his mic on. And in the mi- in the restroom, he says, like he says out loud to himself. I'm paraphrasing. He goes, well, I guess uh, they caught me. They now they know how I killed all three people like he had mixed to it. And right after this documentary was shown, they will start to go look for him and they will finally arrest him in New Orleans few months after the premiere of this movie because he tried to to run away because of the documentary
1: that'll that'll teach him yeah that'll teach him
0: he just died this past january by the way in
1: prison i know and you uh you, you brought it up again of course we've talked about this documentary uh a lot yeah and not not in the same way that we talk about other documentaries we talk about it because you try to shoehorn this documentary into a lot of different conversations i think everybody should watch <laughs> it so that does not surprise me and i don't think my number one is going to surprise you all right go for it i'm gonna go with the night stalker the oh. night stalker documentary and you knew it because we have talked about it a lot now not as high profile as yours uh, I think the night stalker documentary just happened to come out at the right place at the right time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this post COVID world where, you know, Netflix seems to be a, an everyday thing for some people. And I'm also from Southern California. I'm very familiar with all the locations in LA that <coughs> Richard Ramirez uh, did his thing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just something about the familiar, the familiarity of the locations and the way that it's that the documentary is done, it does things in this documentary that I, I think it does better than other documentaries. It, it makes you feel what it was like in Los Angeles during that time. Mm-hmm. It, when Los Angeles spins out of control because there's a serial killer loose, you actually can feel the people's tension of the community. Mm-hmm. i think they do a good job of that they don't really uh, uh make richard ramirez this next level thing like the ted bundy i almost included the 10 the ted bundy confession tapes on netflix on my mount rushmore but they make ted bundy like they put him on i i use this term a lot they put him on this pedestal they make him seem like he's uh, such a great thing like here's our our star here's the star of our documentary mm-hmm. but in this one the night stalker one they don't mm-hmm. they don't make richie ramirez some some great thing mm-hmm. they actually flip it and i know a lot of people don't like this mm-hmm. but they flip it and they introduce uh the detectives as basically the main characters
0: yeah i could see that i mean well i'm okay with that I mean they're the ones that did the work. I think they should get the, the clout when it comes to this kind of documentary.
1: They make them characters they're characters. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're watching a movie they can make a buddy cop movie of uh, Salerno and Carrillo and that was that was kind of cool. They had their own little their own little thing going mm-hmm. and I like that Richard Ramirez, who is also one of these serial killers that women, were attracted to. They yeah. don't make him. They don't make him out anything grand, anything grandiose. They don't make him seem like he's a sexy serial killer, like mm-hmm. some of these other documentaries.
0: Right. No, that's a that's a great pig Just came out a year or two ago, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, brand new. Go watch it on Netflix. Yeah, it's still there. I love. I love that story. The way they capture him because of his sneakers, or they use that. That was one of the the ways they caught him. Yeah, I love that documentary. Fantastic. I think. uh uh, Gil is on a podcast with George Lopez.
1: You like did bring that case. up. Yeah. You did bring that up like what, yeah. two weeks ago, three weeks yeah, ago? Something like that. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe that is what's got us, gave us the idea for this podcast.
0: The world's a twisted place. I know. That's all there. What's your sixth man?
1: All right. I,
0: I, I, People that love murder docs will kill me if you and I do not say this one. I'm going to say making a murder.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Is that yours? Did <laughs> I take one? yeah no okay it, cool, cool it was but i got another one all right so making a murder just you know took it to another level and like you just see the corruption or what you think might be corruption now granted i do it you know there's a lot of skeptics that say well the guy that directed it was very pro uh protagonist that you know he's gonna make him look good And I get that, you know, you could do that for any documentary, but to me, making a murderer, it just, it just transcended uh, murder documentaries and freaking any other kind of documentaries for sure. It definitely had a unique style at a great pace and it had a great, you know, you're just wondering what's going to be the verdict of all this. I thought it was,
1: it was too drawn out. I think they... It was long and there's multiple seasons and all these other documentaries that we, we've talked about are all quick. Like they get well, them. yeah, because what they, the way they hustle the kid
0: to admitting to, to killing, I mean, it was yeah. obvious. I mean, that documentary did, did a good job for you to empathize with them, whether they were
1: the killers or not. Yes, it, it is there. I watched, I watched it. Mm-hmm. uh I remember it be- uh, I got sucked into the, the hoopla, the big deal. Yeah, uh, My sixth man, my sixth man was <laughs> making a murder. There you go. <laughs> but I have another sixth man. So talk to me. Confessions with the killer, the Ted right. Bundy tapes. All right. Uh, there's this big thing, a big like last three years. Ted mm-hmm. Bundy has been like the guy, the, the serial killer. Uh, there's the Zach Efron movie, and then you got the – there's multiple documentaries on Ted Bundy, and I don't get it. I mean, yes, he's a serial killer. Well, but, what, what made him cool was –
0: well, in my opinion, was how he escaped jail. Yes, absolutely, absolutely.
1: How many people could say that, uh, that he was accused of being a murderer? Mm -hmm. managed to escape jail and what did he do (laughs) he murdered more people (laughs) right and they got caught again yes story's great uh not as demented twisted and sick as some of these 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 other people we've talked about but definitely a serial killer Uh, i like that they used actual footage from him and they kind of spun off of his tapes his Mm -hmm. confessions his Mm -hmm. interviews uh yeah. they rely a lot more on that so it feels like it's it's more important than some of these other uh documentaries yes they do interviews and stuff in other documentaries but they're a lot more they're a lot more worried about getting the story across and this one is more of well you know the story now yeah. let's hear it from him so that's my six man
0: well i love it that is a great six man even though a little cliche, mine was cliche with the jinx as well. Um, but you know, we could probably do three Mount Rushmore on murder documentaries or serial killers for sure. Ab-
1: absolutely. Uh, we could probably spin and do every S uh, a, a whole podcast on each one of these. Maybe I we will love serial killers. We can do, <laughs> I I'm glad we did. Sounds BTK. sounds weird to say that. Yeah. I'm glad we did BTK. Uh, and I'm glad that none of our serial killer documentaries covered very many of the serial killers that I would love to talk about. I mean, I love Richard Ramirez, he's up there, but we didn't talk about some of the big ones. So we'll we probably could, get there eventually, man. We could use them uh, for, for actual episodes. Sure, no problem. And I'm just like we that. said, just like we said last time. Uh, if you have any ideas, if you want to hear more about other serial killers, some bigger ones, mm-hmm. if you have an idea, if you want to hear about a specific one, mm-hmm. I know everything. So you All can right. give me the most eclectic serial killer and we can talk about him for 45 minutes.
0: All right. Well, you're just bashing the BTK killer for being ego egocentric. So hey. that was pretty hard to
1: hear. Yes. Are I you I, a
0: serial killer now?
1: I don't need... To kill people for sexual gratification. By I'm the kidding. way,
0: just not to cut you off, but maybe I should have cut you off.
1: <laughs> thank uh, you. I was going to say something very inappropriate.
0: Yeah. So you can thank <laughs> me later. Give us those comments on our Instagram called Cancel Teachers. Our last episode, uh, we got some pretty cool comments. um Just keep them coming. So that's a good episode.
1: I loved it. I think you oh, are a serious killer. I'm not. I swear you I'm have not. the ego for it. It's 2022. You can't get away with being a serial killer. And when our
0: neighbor killed the little bunny, you didn't say anything. I didn't see him, the kid killed
1: the bunny. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I didn't see it. Yeah. All right. I'll take maybe your word for it. I, maybe I'm like the witnesses and it just didn't want to <laughs> say anything. <laughs> hey, hey. If we're not back in five minutes, just wait longer. They're gonna think I'm a freaking serial killer or that i i watched somebody kill something that i didn't see the kid kill the bunny
0: well the bunny definitely got murdered
1: i don't know i didn't see it
0: i don't know